Please grab your Bibles and you can turn with me to Acts chapter 5. We're going to pick up where we left off last week as we are studying through the history of the church, a historical account of what we are in today, the, the local church. I appreciate Roman's uh, willingness to fill in last week for me. It was great to, to be able to uh, get a little time. I had some time being that I wasn't preaching. I had a chance to do something I love, that is ice fishing. I had a chance to meet with a dear friend from Eagle River who came down and not only care for his his heart, but also care for his soul and just having a chance to spend some time with him to, to enjoy fishing, but also to talk to him about things that mattered was really helpful for me. Well, if you've been with us, then you know that this book is, is teaching us how the church got to be where it is today. How is it that we got this gift of the church? What we have been learning about is that in Acts chapter 1, Jesus came post-resurrection to be with the disciples. And he said to them, I'm going back up to the Father. You remain here. The Holy Spirit will come. I want you to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2 and 3, we see the church growing as one of the apostles named Peter preaches this message about the forgiveness of sins that is offered through Jesus. In chapter 4, we see Peter and John, these apostles, standing before a group called the Sanhedrin, giving an account of how this lame man is now able to walk. And there they preach Jesus again. And last week, Roman delivered a message for us through Acts chapter 5. And it was there where we see that the church had some hypocrisy in it. And God and His Holiness dealt swiftly with that, bringing judgment. And as purity was restored to the local church, power was as well. And as we look at Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, we see that miracles were being performed. There's this purity, there's this power, and now the next part of Acts chapter 5, there is this further proclamation. What a time to have been able to live during this early church, to see these miracles happen, to see the rapid growth within the local church. But not everyone is excited about this church and about this Jesus. Let's look, pick up where we left off last week, and let's look at Acts chapter 5, verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. If you're following along in your outline, the first item here is there is jealousy that leads to jail. Verse 17 tells us that the high priest rose up and with him the party of the Sadducees. These apostles are now going to return to the Supreme Court to the Sanhedrin that we learned about just two weeks ago. Who are these Sadducees? We spent a little bit of time with this last or two weeks ago when we realized that they are the rationalists. These are the people that don't believe in the resurrection. They do not believe in life after death, nor, according to Acts chapter 23, verse 8, do they believe in angels. 
And in a few verses, they are in for a dramatic surprise. It tells us here that they are filled with jealousy, according to verse 17. Now, the Bible speaks about a certain jealousy that is a pure, a righteous one. One can be jealous for the name or the reputation of God. And when they hear God's name profane, they get upset about that. That is not the jealousy that is spoken about here. This sort of jealousy is this Supreme Court, this Sanhedrin, these religious leaders are are jealous that many people are moving their loyalty from them to Jesus and Jesus' followers. As a result, it says here in verse 18, they arrest the apostles. Now in chapter 4, just Peter and John were arrested. But now we see the whole leadership team is arrested. And it says here that they are put in the public prison. The prison that would have been common for criminals, thieves, and murderers. This is where they have put the apostles. So there is jealousy that leads to jail. But then there is freedom that leads to preaching. Look with me at verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. If you're familiar with this writer whose name is Luke, you know that he often does record instances of angels. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 1, you see Zechariah, that's John the Baptist's dad. In the, in the Christmas account, there is Mary being visited by an angel. There are the shepherds that are visited by angels. And even in the resurrection account in Luke chapter 24, there are angels outside the empty tomb. In Acts chapter 1, there is also an angel that visits the apostles as Jesus ascends. And here is another angel here in Acts chapter 5 who has two purposes. One is to open the prison doors. And then two, look with me at verse 20. He says to them, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Ironically, the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, had put the apostles in prison for performing miracles. But by doing so, they actually provided another opportunity for another miracle. And this is what takes place. And the angel comes to them and says, you are hindered here in this jail. And so what we want you to do is to go and to speak to the people all the words of this life. As I've been meditating on that verse this week, I thought to myself, this is significant. The angel did not come to the apostles there in the jail cell and let them out to go have a fellowship meal. They did not get released to go have a Bible study within someone's home. They did not have a releasing to go and and start a new ministry to the poor or to start a grassroots political movement. They were released to go and spread the words, to speak the words of life. This is a pattern that we see throughout this this letter, this book of Acts. the, The church, what they do is they go out and they share the similar, the same message of Jesus dying for people's sins. And this was the miracle. You are hindered here in this prison. So we are going to unhinder you so you can go out 
and continue to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, we don't see this in every case. There are certain instances where people, Christians, go into jail and they stay in jail. Sometimes books like Philippians and Colossians and Philemon, they need to be written. So God and his sovereign plan says, no, I want you in jail. You're going to stay in jail till you can write some of my word for encouragement for future believers. But in this case, this is the message. I want you to go out and speak. Speak all the words of life. This is synonymous with what we call the gospel. I'm sending you out so that you can share this message with others. And you see here, it says, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Listen, there's something that I'm 100% positive of, and it's backed up by the scriptures. You might be here this morning asking yourself, why am I here? Not only why am I here in church, but why am I here on this planet? Why do I exist? What is my purpose? You know, the Bible provides a very clear answer for that. You are here. You exist to know God, to have a relationship with him, to enjoy, to be satisfied, to be fulfilled in who he is He cares about you and He knows exactly where you are at in your life. And the Bible says, one Christian said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. There is only one way for you to enter into this relationship with this God. It is through what the Bible refers to as the good news, the gospel. That you can have this right relationship with God by what Jesus has done on the cross for you. By forgiving you of your sins. By repenting and placing your faith in what He has done for you. And this is the message. This is why the apostles have been released from the prison to go out and proclaim that to people who have yet to hear that. So the Bible tells us here in verse 21 that they get up at daybreak. These are early morning people. They're my kind of people. I like that. Now the Bible tells us here, the next part. Now when the high priest came, and those who were with them, they called together the council at the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Verse 22. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked, And the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. So this is the scene. It's the next morning. And the smell of coffee is in the air. And you look at these Supreme Court justices. And and they have their devices. And you can see the glow of a reflection on their face. As they're looking at the primary results of Nevada. Or they're looking at the, the headlines of the coronavirus spreading. And as they are looking and catching up on the news, uh, an agenda is placed on their lap of the schedule of trials for that day. And they glance and see at the top of the list are those Jesus followers, those apostles who they just met with in Acts chapter 4. And so they call for them. Bring them in. And the guards go. And they, they try to bring them in, but there is no one in the jail cell. 
And they come back and say there are guards there. The guards are securely uh, there. The doors are, are locked. But the apostles are nowhere to be found. And they must have thought. They must have gone back to just a few months prior to this. Where they had sent some other guards to guard a certain place. Of a tomb. Of an empty tomb. And make sure that no one gets out of there. Only to find out that someone did. And there was an empty tomb. And now there is an empty jail cell. And there was a correlation surely between Jesus and now Jesus' followers. And the scripture says here in verse 24. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words. They were greatly perplexed about them. Wondering what this would come to. What in the world is going on? We had these guys arrested for preaching in the name of Jesus. We had them in jail. They were guarded. And now they are not there. And as they are pondering and they're discussing this, someone else enters the room. In verse 25, And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The very thing that they had been arrested for, they are back at it doing it all over again. And so we see it here in verse 26. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Now I hope as we work through the rest of this passage that you're going to see two different groups of people. First, you're going to see this council, this Sanhedrin. These are the educated. These are the people that are religious. These are the people that know their Bibles but you would also characterize them by being very passive and having no power. You're going to contrast them with these Christians, these first century apostles who were common, ordinary men who had a relationship with God. And as a result, they were assertive, they were active, and they were powerful. There are these two different groups of people. Now, the reason that they are passive here is because the apostles had gained in popularity and momentum. And they were afraid if they went out and arrested them too harshly, that it actually could turn on them. And they could be stoned themselves. So they usher them right back into the courtroom. And we pick it up in verse 27. And when they had brought them, they sent them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. They cannot even bring themselves to saying the word Jesus. In fact, they are right. If you look over at Acts chapter 4, verse 18, they did tell them not to preach in the name of Jesus. The next part here of verse 28 says, Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. If we're looking for a good mission statement, that might be one right there. They have filled the city of Jerusalem with this teaching. And the next part says, And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. If you pause there for a moment, you reflect on some of the Gospels, you might have heard that before. Let me just read to you a few verses from Matthew. In Matthew 27, and the last part of verse 24 Pilate comes out. You remember he washed his hands and he says, 
I am innocent of this man, this Jesus' blood. See to it yourselves. Verse 25 said, And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. This is exactly what they wanted. They said, yeah, okay, we'll be guilty of killing this Jesus. That's all right. His blood is on us. It's on our children. But now the same people here in Acts chapter 5 saying, hey, what are you trying to do? Put Put his blood on us? So then we see in verse 29, Peter and the apostles answering. So here's the third part of our outline this morning. The first is that jealousy leads to jail. The second is freedom that leads to preaching. And the third is preaching that leads to Jesus. Listen to what Peter and the apostles have to say. We must obey God rather than men. Verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those whom obey him. This is like the Acts 2, there was a sermon. Acts 3, there was a sermon. Acts 4, there was a sermon. It's another sermon, but it's the same message. It's the same message about Jesus who's come To offer forgiveness of sins for people so that they can live out their destiny of knowing God in a relationship. One might say to themselves, goodness, Peter, can you mix it up a little bit? This is your fourth message. Why don't you diversify a little bit? Can't you come at this from another angle? Shouldn't you bring in some ethics or something like that? Shouldn't you bring in some political speech? But we see the same message being trotted out by the early church. That is of Jesus being crucified for sinners. And if this is the one message that the early church brought, how are we to improve upon that? In fact, if someone said, you know, I've been listening to these messages at Highland Crest for a full year. It seems like all you're saying is the same thing over and over and over again. That Jesus died for people's sins. I would take that as a compliment. Because that is the one message that we have. We ought not to mix it up or to fumble it. It was Jesus, uh, or it was a set of Jesus here in Acts chapter 4. We read this two weeks ago where I said, There is salvation in no one else, but there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If we are to live out what we are designed to do, to have this relationship with God, it is only through Jesus. So let's just quickly unpack this sermon again. God sent Jesus to bring life by one dying on the tree. You see him reference that there in verse 30. It said that you killed him by hanging him On a tree. Now, these educated counsel, they would have known that this was a reference to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, verses 22 through 23. That reads If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him on the same day. For a hangman is cursed by God. 
Deuteronomy spoke that when one had broken the law and they were to be killed, this was a curse. And this is what men and women who have broken God's law, the Ten Commandments, have done. They have a curse upon them. But according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from this curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. We deserve that tree. We deserve that cross. We deserve to be hung there. But Jesus bore our curse so that we could go curse free. A part of this message also was Jesus being raised to life. You see that there in verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. They may have thought, we're serving this God. But the apostle says, this God is the one who raised Jesus to life. And we are witnesses to this. You thought you could get rid of him. But he and his gospel lives on with a vengeance. The third part is that they would be exalting him as leader and savior. This is the message that they had. Not only is he the one who saves us of our sins, but he is the one who leads our life. And as I was thinking on this Acts chapter 5, I went back to a verse that Romani hit on last week, and it's verse 14. And I think it's really significant. Look at it. It says this. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both Men and women. You see, there is a distinct difference between you and I being added to the Lord and the Lord being added to our lives. One might say, I'm going to go about, I've got these goals, I've got these passions, I've got this place I want to go in life. And I need to add Jesus as the fuel to get me there. But that is not the Gospel. The Gospel is He adds us to what He is doing. And He is all about glorifying the Father. That's a big difference. In April, there will be the NFL draft. And the Packers will draft, I don't know, seven, eight, nine players. And they will be added to the team. And they will be the property of the Green Bay Packers. And if they want to stick around, they better find out real soon that there is a coach. And Coach LaFleur is going to lead them. And they better acclimate themselves to his leadership. In the same way players are added to the team, Christians are added to God's team through Jesus where he is our leader. And so one doesn't have an option to say on Sunday, you know what I want to do? I want to just go out and do my own thing. We are not to forsake the assembling of gathering together. We are a part of a team We are to encourage one another and look out for one another. There is a leader, and he is Jesus. This is what this passage teaches us. And letter D here, the fourth part of this message, is he gives repentance and forgiveness of sins. The Bible does not place man and woman in a very favorable light. We are all guilty. We are all sinners. And yet we need the gift of repentance, that we can acknowledge this and turn from our sins and say, I'm, I shouldn't be leading my own life. Jesus is to be the leader of my life. And letter E, the fifth part of this message, is Jesus gives way for the Holy Spirit. When one repents and is forgiven, 
they receive the Holy Spirit and he enables this new Christian to follow Jesus's leadership with joy and peace. Well, what happens next in our passage? Let's look at verse 33. When they heard this, that's the council, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Verse 34, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamil, a teacher of the law held in honor by all people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Gamil is a famous teacher. Historical books record his influence. In fact, it is said that when he passed away, no one really ever filled his shoes. This was the leader, the teacher of the Apostle Paul. And he says, I, 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 want, I want these apostles to get out. Because I think we need to talk amongst ourselves about what we are going to do. So the apostles are ushered out. And then he begins in verse 35. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For it is this plan of this undertaking is of a man. It will fall. It will fail. Verse 39. But if this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. So here is a sage old wise man named Gamil. And he says, I've lived a long time and I've seen stuff like this before. There was a man that got up, and his name was Theudas. And he raised a a big gathering. And and I've lived this out. Eventually he died. His story tells us there was a Theudas, but it's not this guy, it was a different guy. And then he also identifies a person by the name of Judas, the Galilean. And Josephus in the history books will identify this man. He says, here's, here's the approach I think we ought to take. Wait and see. Let's see what becomes of this. Because I've seen this stuff rise up before, and I think we should just let it ride. I think it will eventually go. And before we give Gamil too much credit, we should ask ourselves, what would the appropriate comment really have been? I think it would have been, you know what we should do, guys? We ought to examine some claims of this Jesus. We ought to have thought to ourselves, this definitely is the Jesus that we had crucified. And now there are claims that he has been raised to life. We ought to investigate that because if we are persecuting this, this movement, we are against God. But that is not the path that Gamil had. He might have been perceived as a wise man, but in this instance, he was not. And so the people, this is what I find uh, kind of entertaining here. It says here in, at the end of verse 39, so they took his advice. Well, what was his advice? Leave him alone. Let's look at what they did in verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and dragged them, 
not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They might have let them go, but before they let them go, they administered some physical pain. That leads me to the fourth item here in our outline, and that is beating that leads to rejoicing. Now, if anyone had a right to be sour at this point, it was the apostles. All they had been doing was obeying Jesus. They had been obeying the Great Commission. And what did it get them? A severe beating. And what was their response? Look with me at verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now this is evidence that this faith that we adhere to is not of man, but of God. Only the Spirit of God could work about such a response in them. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible is the Beatitudes. And it was here Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this rejoicing leads to more preaching. Look at the last verse of chapter 5. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So this gospel message continues to go forth despite the peer pressure. Despite the temptation to cave in to knowing what, the, what is right and not doing it. They continue on to move forward. So as we just step away from this passage, let me ask you two questions. This is a conclusion that is in your outline. The first is this. Acts 5 contrasts the council. The council are these religious people. They're educated. They're passive. They're not active. And they have no power. They contrast them with the apostles that are relational. They're common. They're bold. They're active. And they're Holy Spirit empowered. If you had to place yourselves in one of these two groups, what group would it be? Would your life best be represented by either the council or the apostles? Are you active? Are you bold? Are you empowered? And then here is another question that I've been thinking about this week myself. Where are we as a church? If we were to be honest, and if the Bible is really a mirror, and as we're working through the book of Acts, we have to ask ourselves these honest questions. Is there this in the life of Highland Crest? Is there this boldness? Is there this power? Is this active witness? What would you say? Well, I take comfort in some degree to knowing that if this is to take place, it is a work of God. So let me lead you to the second question that says this. What is the source of this boldness? Is, is it just willpower? 
I'd take you back to Acts chapter 4. I'd take you back there because we were at a similar place at the end of Acts chapter 4. Peter and John had just left the Sanhedrin. They, they depart. And now we see in Acts chapter 5, the apostles are, are about to depart. And what was it that these apostles did? They got together and they prayed. And what did they pray for? You might remember it was boldness. Look what Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This first century church was known for one that goes out and just shares the gospel. But it was a boldness that was empowered by God and by his spirit. And that, I believe, ought to be our prayer ongoing as an individual, as a family, and as a church family. May God grant us boldness to do what we see here in the pages of Scripture. To be all about going out and sharing the message of Jesus. I'd like us to close by just praying again today. Praying that God would do this work and we would struggle with this question. Am I a part, my life more a part of the, the council? Or does it look more like the apostles? And maybe you would be honest and, and repent. As I being honest, as, as a pastor here, I thought if we are honest, I believe our, our church gravitates more in the area of the council than it does the apostles. And may God do a work in us that there would be more and more boldness, more and more proclamation in our personal lives of the gospel. And as we enter in the weeks and months ahead, and as the thaw happens, we get out more and more with people. May you be open to some evangelism training. May you be open to some more opportunities that we will have to go out and share the gospel with others. Here's what I'd like us to do to wrap up this message. As we have one comes and, and plays the piano, maybe it would, you would think something like this. Maybe you, at this time, have never trusted Christ to save you. Maybe you would pray something like this. I now understand that I exist to live for you, God. I'm not to add Jesus to my life, but He adds me to His team. He is the leader and I am the follower. I repent. I need to be forgiven for my sins. I understand Jesus took the curse for me. He died so that I didn't need to. And I will serve Him for this day forward. Maybe there would be others that would say, Father, help my life to be more like the apostles than the council. I desire boldness and power so that I will speak the words of life. Help me to make the most of the opportunities that you are giving to me. And as a church, may Highland Crest be one that is more like the apostles than the council. Let's just take some time now and pray. And you pray as God would have you to pray. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for the footprints that have been left for us. Thank you for this early church, this gathering that you've had. May we learn from them 
We learn that there is grace that is offered. We learn that the Holy Spirit comes and empowers. We learn that there is a message that needs to be repeated. That Jesus has come to to make a way for sinners to have a relationship with God. May they do that. And as the church grew there in the first century, we pray for us to grow in our understanding and appreciation and in our relationships with one another here. We'll trust you if you want to grow in other areas. We'll trust you with that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.